God is good. Hallelujah. Um, we're going to kind of take a slightly different tack than the idea of following directions, although that is positively true. Um, but I want to bring out a few things that I've been working on lately, and I, you know, I want you to bear with me. For one thing, I blew, yes, I pretty much blew my knee out. I'm keeping the safety stool right here, but I find it impossible to sit and, and preach the gospel. So uh, just bear with me gimping around here, and uh, we'll all make it through. But let's read um, 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to actually read the biblical history here of Naaman's healing. And uh, I've, just because I have this compulsive need, I have named this sermon Great Expectations. Great Expectations. And uh, we're going to read from 2 Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because of him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, Thus and thus uh, said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant uh, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Amen. Great expectations. So I want to look first at confronting unmet or misplaced expectations. And uh, I want to start with a quote from the author Viktor Frankl. I don't know if any of you ever heard of him. Uh, the book, Man's Search for Meaning, literally changed my life. 
Highly recommend it. It's written by Viktor Frankl, who is a psychologist and a survivor of Auschwitz. And he said, between stimulus and response is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Amen. So, in other words, we don't always get to choose a lot of what happens to us in life, do we? But we do get to choose how we respond. And let's admit it, guys. We're, these days, if, you, if you've been looking around at all, we are seeing a lot of angst, we are seeing a lot of anger, and we are seeing a lot of anxiety, aren't we? You really can't pick up, a, a, well, open up a website or wherever you get your news, turn on, you just can't avoid reports of people losing it over nothing. You know, uh, uh, you know bad restaurant stories. My wife, you know, went to the nail salon. Some lady just lost her marbles in there over getting her nails done. This is happening all over the place, amen? There's a statement, and it's, I don't know who, who, who said it, so I'm going to just say it's anonymous. Somebody said it. I didn't. And it says, the power of, or the parent of much unhappiness is unfulfilled expectations. So I want you to think with me about dealing with unfulfilled or unmanaged expectations because Naaman serves as a powerful example. In verses 8 through 12, we see this whole process of Naaman coming to the prophet. And Elijah sends for him and brings him to his house. And Naaman shows up. Can you imagine the scene of Naaman showing up to the prophet's house? This is the, the top general Uh, a man of great notoriety, a man of great victory, a man of great valor, a man of great honor and dignity, rolling up with this parade, if you will, to the prophet Elijah's house. This is a man used to a certain level of respect. This is a man used to a certain level of dignity. And Elijah sends his servant out. Hey, just go out tell him to dip seven times in the Jordan and he'll be fine. And we see then in verse 11, I believe it is, uh, we see that Naaman, verse 11, I'm just going to read these two verses again, or verse 11 and then the end of verse 12. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. And then down to the end of verse 12, it says, So he turned and went away in a rage. He's insulted and he pitched a fit. And how we respond when confronted with unmet or misplaced expectations is a huge piece in our emotional, our mental and our spiritual well-being. Amen. And for Naaman, like us, the problem began between his ears. Right? He literally says, I said to myself, this is how it's going to go. And so basically, Naaman has thought through, he's basically fantasized. I mean, really, 
He's got a, this fantasy thing. He's gonna, it's going to be the magic moment. This magic moment, right? And out comes Elijah. You know, he pulls up in all his pomp and his circumstance, and out comes the prophet Elijah. And he prays in the name of the Lord his God, waves his hand, dink a dink a dink. You know, you got to have a sound effect. And heaven opens. And he's healed. Praise the Lord. Except they didn't go like that at all. (laughs) In fact, it was to a man of his station, it went down in an insulting manner. In a somewhat disrespectful manner. And so, this is what happens. You know, we overthink... And I'm talking about myself, too. I'm I'm using the word we, right? Okay? We overthink, we basically fantasize about how a situation or even life itself is going to go. This can be, you know, looking for that magic moment like Elijah had, or it can be uh, 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 relational, it can be thinking ahead towards a confrontation that, that needs to happen, a discussion that needs to happen. It can be thinking ahead to uh, any manner of different things. And we get this whole thing worked up in our mind. And 99 out of 100 times, maybe even 999 out of 1,000 times, things don't go the way we think they're going to go. Amen. And basically, when things don't go as we expected them to go, like Naaman, we go into an emotional tailspin. So he turned and went away in a rage. Still leprous, I might add. See, let's, all right, let's think about how this plays out in our lives. I read a, uh, I have a blurb from something that I read at some point or another. And it was a man telling the story about preparing for his wife's birthday because he really, you know, he wanted to bless her. It's her birthday. He wanted to give her a, a special day. He wanted to bless her. So he plans everything that he knew that she would love. You know, prepared a meal that he knew she would love. And, and she arrived, you know, when she arrived, he's got this whole, she's going to be wonderfully surprised. It's going to be a, a great day for her on her birthday. God bless him. That's a great idea. So he prepares the ideal meal. He dims the lights. He uh, lights candles that she likes. Uh, he, he has her favorite flowers in the center of the, the table. There's music on that he knows that she likes. And she walks in and she goes, I had the worst day. I feel terrible. My day stunk. I'm taking a bath. I'm not even hungry. And she stormed off and went and got in the bath. How do you think that man responded at first? Come on. (laughs) The man said he was originally very hangry, right? How dare she? He'd worked so hard. Where was the appreciation? And see, here's the thing. He had a whole list of expectations as to how she should have responded to his efforts. And then he realized that she had failed to live up to his expectations, but that wasn't her fault. (laughs) 
The expectation was his, and she had no obligation to fulfill it. Uh Uh-oh. And you see, when you don't get past your original response like this man did, or like Naaman had, you end up living in what I call a state of resistance. And what this is, is it's a... You know, when we think of anxiety, we think of anxiety as being like worry and fear about the future, don't we? And that's, that's 100% true. I'm not discounting or denying that. But there's something to be said, too, for living in this state of anxiety where we're just all, always wound too tight. And nothing is right with the stinking world. Bunch of morons. And we're wound up with, you know, we we go between anger and sadness and self-loathing. It wasn't supposed to be this way. I did A, I did B, and the the result is supposed to be C, and I am really upset that it's not. How dare they? I expected better from them. They should have done this. They should have done that. Why does everything happen to me like this? My life sucks. Oh no, none of us go there, do we? Amen. See, we get stuck in the quickstand of what I call the shoulds. This should be like that. This person should be like this. That person should be like that. So-and-so should have done this, that, or that. Are you with me here? We have a hard time, especially with people, and then sometimes with life itself, we have a really hard time just meeting people as they are and accepting them right there rather than as we think they should be. I have a friend one time who visited when we lived in uh, Chicopee. We're out there, and, you know, at that time, email was hot. (laughs) And if you were really hot, you might have upgraded to AOL Instant Messenger. And there was this thing looming on the horizon called MyFace. But email was the, the hot item at the time. Yeah, I'm aging myself. I'm going back like a whole, like, 15 years. No, no more like 25. But at that point, I was, I was in full-time ministry, and I liked sharing uh, ideas. I liked sharing illustrations. I liked sharing stories, jokes, and I had an email list, and I was... I, on a regular basis, I was firing off these, these emails to, to all my friends. And uh, this, this one friend came to visit, and I guess because of my, my emails or something, he had this image of me, because we really didn't, we'd met each other, but we didn't know each other well, right? And it's his first time at our house, and, you know, moment of truth right here, I am a messy Marvin, Okay? 
I'm not Mr. Clean. I'm not Mr. Neat. Generally, I always have some space that, that I call mine, and it's a mess. Sorry to disappoint you. That's, the, that's just the, the raw truth. And I invite him up into what I consider to be my office. And number one, it's a mess. And number two, I've got this ragtag little computer desk from Staples that my mom had given me when she was done with it. And I think this guy had this idea that I was somebody that I was not. And he walked in, and there's this sort of this mess, and my, my computer on his old desk and stuff spread across it and it did not fit the image that he'd had of me at all and he literally kind of looked around and goes so this is it I'm like this is my home (laughs) and thankfully he got past it but he was like wow I thought you know you'd have this like really cool executive desk and I'm like nope Amen. And he had to work through that. (laughs) Thankfully, he did. And he's still my friends. Amen. (laughs) But we get stuck in what we think people and life should be like. And, you know, my point is that when we don't accept life on life's terms, the result is that we are not healthy mentally, we're not healthy emotionally, and we're not healthy spiritually. And the fact is, we're all going to wrestle with this from time to time. That is perfectly normal. You're going to run into, if you've been married any amount of time, you're going to run into situations like that man did on his wife's birthday. And it's going to, that, that door's going to swing both ways. You're going to disappoint each other. You're going to surprise each other. You're going to let each other down. You're going to fail to meet one another's expectations. And that that happens. These events are going to happen. It's going to happen in friendships like I just talked about with with my friend there. But the problem is some people settle down and they live here. Naaman could have settled down and lived there. He could have remained leprous and angry. He could have walked away from his miracle. And held on to his anger. Are you with me here? And some people do that. They settle down. They live there. And they're constantly unhappy. They're not healthy in their mind. They're not healthy in their emotions. They're not healthy in their spirit. They're in a tailspin of unmet expectations. And the result is no joy, no peace, never really having a sense of well-being, never really settling into a sense of being loved by God unconditionally. Because you've got conditions on everybody and everything. And we wind up in a state of constant resistance and unhealthy. And my question is, do you think God wants you to stay there? Let me tell you, God wants you to be healthy mentally, He wants you to be healthy emotionally. He wants you to be healthy spiritually. And when you're living in this state of resistance that I'm talking about, you're not. God has something better for you. And so think about the real issue at hand. Because if we're going to get out of this state of resistance, if we're going to begin to practice acceptance 
and we're going to begin to live in God's peace, we've got to recognize the core issue and we've got to repent. (gasps) Repent, I said a bad word. Listen to me. The core issue of what I'm talking about is pride and our selfish fallen nature. Think about the fall of Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. The serpent is tempting Eve, and he says, For God knows. We got that scripture? For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And we know that Eve ate of that fruit, shared that with Adam, and all of us since then have inherited their nature, and there will always be a part of us that wants to be like God that will want to be in the place of God. And here is the issue with not managing unmet expectations, whether you realize it or not, you're trying to be like God to control people and to control outcomes. When we think of God, we know that He's sovereign, isn't He? He controls the outcome of history. He controls the outcome of the universe itself. And part of something that we all wrestle with is that there is a part of us that wants to be like God and control. And did you ever really think of how little control you really have? You are one of now nearly 7 billion human beings on the planet. Every one of us thinking that our life is the most important one on the planet. But you see, we want to control every outcome. And I don't think that our pride and our fallen nature and our inherent selfishness is more evident than when we want to try to control people and control outcomes. See, recently while reading 1 Peter, I made a connection I'd never made before. Uh, let's bring up 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, please. Sometimes we don't connect two verses that are side by side in the Bible, do we? But we should. It says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, in, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, and then casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That word anxieties means to divide the mind. It denotes distractions, burdens, and worries. It's the same word used by Jesus in the parable of the sower. How many have read the the parable of the sower? Where he talks about the word of God being planted into different types of soil. And one of those types of soil uh, is what he calls thorny ground. And where the the word of God is planted into thorny ground, he talks about the, the cares of this life, the distraction of riches, the love of other things, chokes the word. We're distracted. The word is unfruitful in our lives. And I believe that we can connect in 1 Peter chapter 5. Listen to me. I believe we can connect 
in 1 Peter 5, the, the call to humility with handing our anxieties to him. We can connect his call to humility with handing our anxieties to him. And what kind of rung with me is that when I don't hand my anxieties towards God, when I don't hand God my unmet expectations to let him control the, out, the outcome, what I'm doing is I'm operating in pride and arrogance. Amen. I'm going to say that again. When I don't hand God my unmet expectations, when I don't hand him my anxieties, I am functioning in pride and in arrogance. I am not in a place of submission to his will, and I am not in a place of humility. And when I am not in a place of humility, there is problems that are going to follow. Like I said, like Naaman, when we do this, we end up living in a state of being disappointed and angry. And you know, we're all going to pass over this ground in, in, on a regular basis. But the problem, as I said, is that a lot of people, even Christians, even live, end up living here. You, you, we end up in this constant state of, of, of we're just wound up all the time. Are you following me here? And you see, the real danger, listen to me, the real danger is that if we don't repent... Ultimately, we'll end up angry with God. How many of you here have read the book of Jonah? The whole thing. Did you ever notice that the book of Jonah ends horribly? It's like the, this terrible ending. And it basically ends with Jonah being angry with God and defending his right to be angry. Because things didn't go the way he wanted them to go. And what that tells me is that if Jonah, a great prophet of God, can end up there, I can end up there. The good news, all right, let's, let's shift this around. Because I want you to look at Naaman as an example and, and an answer to us. Naaman is a powerful example to us of humility. See, Naaman received his miracle, and the good news is, you can too. But the key for Naaman is that he demonstrated profound humility for a man of his stature, and he's a great biblical example of what true humility looks like. For Naaman, humility is demonstrated in his ability to listen to good counsel and then take action on it. Amen. It was in his ability to listen to good counsel and then take action on it. If you go back to verses 2 through 4, let's just look at that real quick. It says, And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, and on it went. You know what I hear there? And what we see there? Get ready for an amen, ladies. Naaman listened to his wife.
uh-oh. I think I just lost some of the guys. <laughs> Naaman listened to his wife. And more so, even more astounding, is that by proxy, really, he listened to basically a slave girl. Because she passed on this information to his wife, she had no place in that household to communicate directly with the master of that household. So she informed the wife, the wife informed Naaman, and Naaman listened. He didn't say, that little slave girl's got nothing to say to me. Who does she think she is? Woman, sit down. You got nothing to say to me. Or like most guys, you know, what we do is we go, yes, dear, and then we do what we want anyway. Amen. Just because you heard her doesn't mean you've listened to her. Uh Uh-oh. There's a big difference. And now think about the action that followed. Naaman goes to his king, his boss, his commander, and he asks permission to go to their sworn enemies for help. See, sometimes we read through these things and we don't really think about these things. He's going to go to the king and say, I want to go to our enemies and ask for help. What do you think could have gone wrong? You know, the king could have looked at him and said, Are you nuts? Seriously, Naaman? It could have been really bad. It could have been really embarrassing. Thankfully, the king loads him up with supplies, but the fact is, he did it. And then he goes, think about this. He is a victorious general. He is a warrior. He's a commander. And he rides up to his sworn enemies under a white flag, bearing gifts to ask for their help. How do you think that felt? There is profound humility in that action. Like I said, sometimes we don't think about it. There's a lot that could have gone wrong, especially with a king as insecure as Jehoram. Because Jehoram makes it all personal, doesn't he? This man's coming. This is a trap. They're out to get me. That's what he's saying. Who am I? Am I supposed to be God and heal this man? It's a trap. They're looking to start a war. That is a very insecure man, isn't it? Amen. Beware of insecure men. And we're all insecure. So Elijah must have had somebody there who hears, brings word back to Elijah, and then, you know, he has to go to the, to the prophet. So something to consider here. And this is why we struggle. This is why we struggle with humility. This is why we struggle with unmet expectations sometimes. We especially struggle in these areas. One of the reasons is that it makes us vulnerable. Here is humility in Naaman brought him to a place of vulnerability. And we hate to be vulnerable, don't we? Now, I want to I pause here. I want to acknowledge something. Some of us have dealt with traumatic, traumatic things in our lives. And what that does is that brings a, a strong defensive response to where I am never letting this happen to me again. And I want to acknowledge that. 
But at some point, we got, we got to put ourselves to where we can be vulnerable again to some degree. You don't have to step back into that same horrible circumstance, okay? Am I being clear? Do not ever put yourself back into a space where you can be abused uh, or, or any number of different things, okay? That's not what I'm preaching. But the fact is, humility brings us to a place where we have to be vulnerable, The byproduct of managing our expectations and not trying to control every outcome is that we make ourselves vulnerable to disappointment. But you see, humility that risks vulnerability is the outflow of real faith because where you'll step into that space of the unknown, where, you know, here's kind of what I've been learning is I can learn to to think some things through and say, you know what, here's what I hope happens. Here's what I think might happen, but in reality, I don't have a clue what's going to happen. And I'm going to have to accept and flow and deal with whatever presents itself in front of me. And you see, when we begin to operate in that place and we allow ourselves to step into that place of vulnerability, what we're really doing is we're trusting God with the outcome and not trying to control it ourselves. And so faith is willing to take the risks and become vulnerable because we believe and we know that God loves us and that ultimately He is in control of the outcome. The other people that Naaman demonstrated humility by listening to was his servants. These were the people immediately under his command. So we see that Naaman was not immature or insecure. It was natural for him maybe to be angry. You know, he's furious, he's angry, but he also came around and he listened. And in listening to his servants, he was not just listening to them, he was listening to Elijah, as our kids clip pointed out. He was willing to start following directions. But in listening to Elijah, who represented spiritual authority, earthly spiritual authority, uh uh-oh. Yeah, we need some level of earthly spiritual authority. That's Bible. Amen. Amen. Every now and then, our pastor can really come out with some wisdom. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. But see, by listening to Elijah, he was listening to God himself. These weren't Elijah's instructions. These were God's instructions. And even that was humbling and made him vulnerable because now he's going to wade into the Jordan with no guarantee that it would work. Here's a man who is accustomed to success. Here is a man accustomed to respect. Here is a man accustomed to dignity and, and position and notoriety and all these things. And it could have been a horribly embarrassing episode. But he did not allow his inability to control the outcome deter him from obeying God's command. I'll say that again. He did not allow his inability to control the outcome to deter him from obeying God's command. And the result was he received his miracle. And so Naaman serves as a powerful example of humility 
and a properly managed expectations. It's one thing to have that moment of anger where you're frustrated and things didn't go right. You know, we may have those moments, but it's a completely different thing to live there. And where we, I believe that where we see people mistreating the help in the restaurants, all these things, I think what you're seeing is people, they're already wound way too tight before that moment. The cup, the proverbial cup, is already full. And by adding that one drop, everything spills over. And what spills over is selfish and it's ugly. One final thought that struck me is that the miracle was in the mud. Think about that. Had Naaman not gone into the Jordan, he names these rivers back in his homeland near Damascus in Syria. And, you know, a good chance is that those rivers were much more clean than the Jordan. History tells us that the Jordan is notoriously muddy and dirty. There's the other thing. Has anyone gone to the Holy Land? What was the Jordan like? Oh, all right. Well, I, I have not gone. I've met some people who have, and they all said the same thing. I was disappointed. It wasn't as big as I thought it was, and it was filthy. It was muddy. You know, we have this idea, this is where John the Baptist was. Ah, crystal clean mountain water flowing, you know? But that's not what it was like. And the miracle was in the mud. Amen. Sometimes, church, our miracle is right there in the mud. And we can miss it as a result. Amen. Think about it. Life is messy. Amen. Life is uncontrollable. Life is messy. Life has... It, it, it's overwhelming sometimes. And you see, sometimes we tend to buy into this fairy tale mentality where one day we'll reach that place where all our problems are solved and we can live happily ever after. Some of us have read way too many Disney books. Some of us are, are still singing with the Wizard of Oz somewhere over the rainbow, you know. Hello. What if life just stays messy in its own way? What I'm learning is one problem sort of gets cleared up and three more materialize. <laughs> and, you know, if, if, you, if you're driving along through the potholes of life just expecting to hit easy street of a freshly paved road, chances are what's going to happen is in reality that road's going to turn to dirt. And then it's really going to get bumpy. I know I'm disappointing some of you, <laughs> but that's the fact. Somehow I believe for a lot of us the prosperity gospel has pervaded the American church to where we believe somewhere inside, you know, we, we might not come out and use these words, but part of us believe that God exists to solve all of our troubles and to make us happy in the way of our own choosing. God, I want you to solve my problems and make me happy in the way that I choose. 
And we have this idea that we have these expectations in life, and we have this idea that one day life's going to be easy, but I'm afraid the Bible tells us otherwise. Look at John 16, 33. Can you bring that up, guys? John 16, 33. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. And here's the part we hate. In the world you will have tribulation. There is a promise of God for you that you probably don't want to hear. What's tribulation? It's trouble and difficulty. It's friction. In this world you will have tribulation, but listen to what he says. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. See, at some point, God's going to lead us to a place where our peace and our joy and our well-being has to rest in him alone and not in our circumstances and not in what other people do or what other people think or the world going on around us. And that's where the real happiness lays because now you can begin to live life. You know, I was thinking um, about Jesus. I don't have this in my notes, but Jesus talking about ask and seek and knock and whoever asks, it'll be given. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. And how many have read that? And he talks about how many of you being evil, but you still know how to give good gifts to your children. Jesus says, how much more so will your father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's a, a huge piece in that equation. You know, something has shifted in me, and I, believe me, I've got a, 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 a knee torn up, a bum shoulder, cut up my thumb, <laughs> all kinds of stuff going haywire here. I'm falling apart. I'm falling apart! <laughs> she. But over the years, God has piece by piece, thing by thing. There is nothing wrong with bringing, bringing your physical, emotional, and mental desires before God. There's nothing wrong with that. But what about if our starting point, when everything's blowing up, what if our starting point in praying is, God, I need your spirit right now. Instead of God answer this, solve that, take care of that, talk to him, straighten her out, Send money yesterday, please. We've all prayed that too. How about we start by praying, Father, I need your presence. I need your Holy Spirit. I need more than I, more than I need healing, more than I need money, more the first and most important thing that I need right now, Lord, is you and an and awareness of your presence in my heart and in my life. Because when you start there, the fruits of the Spirit follow. Now you have love, you have peace, you have joy, you have self-control, you have kindness, your goodness. Because all those things flow out of the Holy Spirit being present in you and you being aware of the Holy Spirit and surrendered to Him. A whole different way of relating to life, isn't it? Amen. And you see, life is dirty. It's muddy. But more often than not, our miracle is right there in the mud. And if we're not careful, we can miss it. Because our wrong expectations have us looking elsewhere 
or moving in the completely wrong direction. Now, I'm just about done, so bear with me, but I'm going to embarrass my brother, Mike Scarpolini. Because Mike and I ha- had a good discussion. And yeah, I asked his permission. Mike, did I ask your permission to... Okay, so... <laughs> uh, Preachers only throw their immediate family under the bus. <laughs> My wife taught me the hard way. If you're going to mention me in a sermon, you owe me a dress. <laughs> so I probably owe you a dress. Because <laughs> I just mentioned her. It's a trap. <laughs> So Mike and I are talking, and Mike, God bless him, is basically trying to fulfill one of the hardest tasks on earth, and that's being a single parent. He shared with me, he had an idea of how life was going to go. Marriage was going to go this way, children, and all these things that follow it, and then it all fell apart. And things didn't go as expected. And in Mike's life, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, it was at that time that he began to move towards God. And that's where I said, Mike, you're a miracle. This is, this is the kind of thing we miss. What kind of a miracle is it that someone whose life begins to fall apart moves towards God? I've worked construction jobs for years. Can I tell you how many miserable, divorced men that I've met that went far from God Turn to a bottle, ignoring their family, behind on child support, all kinds of, not fulfilling their obligations, and filled with anger. I said, Mike, your life right now is a miracle. The fact that you went through that and all that fell apart, and you love God, and you're doing the best you can to serve God, and move forward, even though life is difficult, It's hard sometimes. Emotionally, it's troublesome at at times. Brother, you're a miracle. And I want to point out that, and what I want to close this sermon by pointing out is that in some way, every one of you here is a miracle. What if you're the miracle, not that thing out there somewhere? I came to Christ as an 18-year-old drug addict. The fact that I managed to get married, stay married, raise kids, live a relatively above-board life, far from perfect, is a miracle. I might as well be walking on water. And that's what we miss. Because the miracle is in the mud. It's in all that churning. It's in all that difficulty. It's in all that struggle and all that junk. The miracle is right there in it. All the insanity of raising kids. Well, did you pray for kids? Yes, we prayed for kids. There's your miracle. The Tasmanian miracle. Did you pray for a godly spouse? Yes, there's your miracle. What? All I'm saying is, don't miss the miracle in the mud. 
See, we sang that song, Evidence. I requested that song. Because that, that song resonates with me deeply. Lately, uh, you know, something I, I've shared and I'm going to continue to share is I believe our greatest weapon, one of, one of our greatest weapons, I shouldn't say our greatest, one of our greatest weapons is gratitude. There is something powerful when you start looking for what's right and you give voice to what's right. I realized, you know, I'm looking around because, you know, I'm just going to be honest. I, I am mentally exhausted of struggling with injuries and different things. And the only thing that's been really carrying me forward is, is what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that to brag. I spent like half of yesterday just sleeping. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm frustrated with a lot of things. But then I began to look around and, and the Holy Spirit help me. And I want to tell you, if, if you let the Holy Spirit help you to look for the evidence of God's goodness and start giving voice to those things. One of the miracles I have is, is the, the people in the place where I work. I'm a mess. I'm a carpenter. I can't climb a ladder. I can barely go up or down stairs. I can't lift one arm beyond this. And you know what? The guys around me are taking care of me. Oh no, just come in, do what you can, we'll keep you light duty, we'll keep you on level ground, we'll, we'll make you cut man. <laughs> it was a table saw. <laughs> but it's brought me to this place of, of enormous gratitude that, you know what, God's providing income. God's taking care of us. God's meeting the need. And I need to look at that rather than look at what things could be or I had hoped them to be. God, can I, I'm just going to bare my soul just for a second, okay? I went into this summer, especially coming out of the pandemic, like, I'm going to own this summer, baby. That was me. That was my mindset. I'm going to own it. I'm playing softball. I'm going to be paddle boarding. I'm going to, you know, guess what? <laughs> I haven't been able to do any of those things. <laughs> so I am preaching to myself today, church. And I'm trying to share with you, you know, just, just what God has brought me around. And I want to encourage you. I, I, I want to just, I, first, I, I do want to say how much I love each and every one of you here. I, you have no idea how much I appreciate this church because it's been a, a, just a wonderful place of healing and of change, a lot of change. You know, some of you knew me walking in here five years ago, full suit, tie, stuffed tight, wound up about everything. I'm still a little wound up, but. <laughs> and what I've come to appreciate is people, especially those of you gathered here in church, you're here because you want to love God. That's a miracle. I want to encourage you to start looking at yourself as a miracle rather than a problem. Not in an ego, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the greatest miracle of all? Just appreciating the miracle that you love God at all. That you're where you are. The evidence of things going right. The evidence of God's goodness all over our lives if we'll look for it.
Don't miss the miracle in the mud. Pastor Sean, I know we didn't talk about this. Do you mind just coming up playing the guitar a little bit? Or maybe we sing that again. You want to sing that again? Let's sing it again. I got the words. You and me, Sean. But, but, you're breaking order. Yeah, I'm good at that. Because I want to just take a minute while we sing this. Because I've preached what I preached and I don't want to just say a quick prayer, make the sign of the cross and run out of here. Guys, I'm going to switch microphones, okay? I'm going to go to the, the handheld one. back to check there it is let's take a little time to reflect I want to encourage you to take a little time to thank God for a few things that are right I don't doubt that some of you are facing enormous struggles and I don't want to disrespect that whatsoever but what I believe God wants to do is aim you in a direction of healing aim you in a direction of peace aim you into a direction that will bring you that sense of well-being and of being loved. Because as you begin to see the evidence and you begin to voice that gratitude, what you realize is, I am deeply and wonderfully loved. And God's with me. Amen? So we're going to sing that. You need to come to an altar area. Whatever you want to do. Amen. But we're going to take a few minutes with this. All throughout my history Your faithfulness has walked beside me The winter storms make way for spring In every season From where I'm standing I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life, all over my life. I see your promises in fulfillment all over my life, all over my life. Help me remember when I'm weak Fear may come and fear will leave You lead my heart to victory You are my strength and I always will be I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life, all over my life. I see your promises in fulfillment all over my life, all over my life. See the cross, see the cross, the empty grave. The evidence is endless 
all my sin rolled away because of you oh jesus see the cross the empty grave the evidence is endless all my sin rolled away because of you oh jesus oh i see the evidence of your goodness all over my life all over my life i see your promises in fulfillment all over my life all over my life i see i see the evidence of your goodness all over my life all over my life i see your promises in fulfillment all over my life all over my life why should i fear why should i fear the evidence is here why should i fear the evidence is here i see the evidence of your goodness all over my life all over my life see the promises in fulfillment all over my life all over my life once more I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life all over my life I see your promises in fulfillment all over my life, all over my life. Hallelujah. Father, we're so thankful. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you demonstrated the ultimate goodness and the ultimate love by coming and humbling yourself even to the death of the cross for our redemption, for our salvation, to open up a new and living way where we could live with your presence active and real in our lives, Lord. And Lord, our first prayer today as we get ready to leave here is that You would come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we need You. We need Your Spirit. We need Your reality and Your presence active in our lives. You, Lord, are our center. You are our peace. You're our joy. Come, Holy Spirit, be those things in our hearts that we may express them through our lives. Help us to be shining examples of light and of peace and of blessing 
in a world going crazy, Father. And I pray your blessing over each and every life represented over here. I pray your blessing over each and every family that's represented here. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would bless us as we leave this place, that you would anoint us, that you would send us out from here to be your servants in a lost and dying world. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name.